in three, two, one. In today's crowded marketplace, presentation excellence isn't just important, it's critical. Whether you are a business professional or entrepreneur, presentation excellence allows you to cut through the noise, ensuring your message isn't just heard, but connects and resonates with your audience. At its core, business is about relationships. Presentation excellence enables you to build authentic connections with your audience. Whether it's in webinars, sales presentations, podcasts, live streams, or social media, presentation excellence is about leveraging the tools and technologies and amplifying your reach and impact. To help us understand what we should focus on to stand out is presentation and technology expert, Kat Mulvahill. Well, hi, Kat. Welcome to the program. We're so delighted to have you. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. Now, where are we speaking to you from today? Where are you at? I live in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. Well, I'm in Calgary right now in our studios here. So it's always nice to talk to a fellow Canadian. But boy, you're pretty much global. I came across you as the pandemic was in about 2021. And you are a prolific content creator. And so we're really delighted to have you because I think you've nailed it. Uh, the content that you put out, there's just so much to talk about, so much to unpack. But before we get there, how did Kat get to be Kat? Where did Kat come from? Give us a little bit of the background on what attracted you to that medium. Yeah, my background has traditionally been in post-secondary. So I worked at universities. I did a lot of working with students, running trainings, and I loved it. Anytime I got a chance to see that aha moment when something clicks and connects for a person, that would fill me up. And around 2019, I realized that the job I was doing at that time just didn't afford me that opportunity very much. And I started to feel like I needed to shift and I need to find myself in more positions where I can teach and witness people having that aha moment, or maybe not even witness it, but just provide those. And so I started to contemplate going out on my own, which previously I was not set out to be an entrepreneur, but the desire to teach and just have a little bit more control over how I was spending my days prompted me to leave the job and start my own business training. Now my original training was more personal, professional development, but the pandemic changed that where that wasn't a priority for a lot of people in 2020. But what I had done is spent a lot of time learning how to change my in-person training into something that did not feel like a three-hour Zoom call, which was my very first booking that got modified from in-person to online. And so I invested in learning the technology. How do I engage people? How do I make people feel uplifted at the end of our sessions online instead of feeling completely drained, which was my experience personally as a participant in a lot of those Zoom meetings. And I noticed that over the second half of 2020, more people came to me and said, how did you do that thing with the screen? How did you show a graphic in your Zoom meeting over your picture? And I realized I loved teaching that as well. So I never set out to do it. But in 2021, I just started teaching what I had learned in a way that I wish I had available to me when I was trying to learn it the first time. Well, that's a great way to do it. Great way to find content. And you're a natural with it, which is terrific. It makes it easier. Why do people have that fear of being recorded or let's call it Zoom fatigue? They're exhausted. You know, everybody was on Zoom meetings and why they do it so poorly. And what are some of their concerns that you run into all the time that why they don't do it, why they don't make them more engaging? Because I know you focus on engagement, entertaining, the graph Graphics are interesting. You use multiple cameras. But for some people, that complexity is too much. Where's the right place to start? I would say that 
One of the things that I don't think people realize, and that's a really important consideration, is that the camera steals your energy. On the Zoom fatigue front, I will just say it is not natural to see your own face. And so I'm a really big fan, actually, of hiding your self-view. And that is low-hanging fruit for any of us. When you picture an in-person meeting, you might check a mirror, make sure you don't have any food in your teeth after lunch, but then you walk in the room and you never stare at yourself. But when we're on these Zoom meetings, let's be honest, most of us will glance at our window and not look at the person who's speaking, partly self-conscious, but also it's just it's just human nature. And so that's one thing I think that really contributes to this fatigue and this drain. But also the camera steals your energy. And so the version of you that's coming across on the other side of the screen is a more depleted, slightly dulled down version of yourself. And I don't think a lot of people know that. So you might be enthusiastic. You might actually really care and you're invested in what you're sharing. But what actually comes out on the other side is just a slightly stripped down version of yourself. So if you aren't projecting the right level of energy, then other people aren't receiving it the way that you actually intend. Being able to compensate for that is a really great place to start. And it doesn't take a lot. Now, as you said, people don't like to watch themselves. They don't like to record themselves. And I get that. But I do think if you can record yourself talking about something you actually care about, some sort of topic you like, do that twice alone. Just open a Zoom meeting, record yourself talking for a few minutes about that topic, then try again with slightly more energy and watch back. And I guarantee it's not as cringy as you think. And it will really make a difference for people on the other side of the camera who are listening and watching you. It seems like if it's too polished, it gets too far out the way. Like people go, okay, that's too produced. Where if it's a little organic and you make some mistakes, that's okay. And when I talk to professionals, things they're concerned with or they'll record themselves and they'll hear their own voice and they'll go, I don't sound like that. And I go, actually, yes, you do. That's exactly how you sound. Voice coach. I know you're a certified voice coach with Roger Love and through that process. If you're going to present online or in person, because I know you do both, what are the absolute must-haves, essentials that we need to focus on from a, say, maybe a voice point of view and a parent's point of view and a cadence point of view and tone? Because those are all things that to your coaching. I would say probably the first place to start for most people is to ask yourself, what is the emotionality behind your voice and your message? Because people will hear the sound of your voice before they actually hear the words you say. And this is just science. <laughs> Literally, when I project my voice, what goes into your ear is first going into your ear canal, and then it goes through your amygdala, which is your emotional center. Then it travels to your prefrontal cortex, where you actually make sense of the words. That's why, you know, if you ever think about talking to a dog, someone can say to a dog, you're so stupid. Look at this stupid dog. And the dog will wag its tail because it's not hearing the words. It's hearing the sound of your voice. Oh. Humans are similar. We hear the sound of a person's voice before we actually make sense and interpret the words they're saying. So if we can find alignment with matching the emotionality that we intend with the message we're sending, it's much more powerful. It's also more auditorially interesting. That was a mouthful. It just sounds more interesting. And when you have that vocal variation, then I think it's just more appealing to listen to. You wouldn't want to listen to a song that was just one key played over and over. Similarly, we don't want to listen to someone's voice that's monotone and just all in one tone or pitch. That's boring. We will tune that out. So I think adding that vocal interest and do that through thinking about what is the actual emotion I want to convey when I'm talking to this person or these people.
Yeah. Emotionality. That's interesting. Now, if people were to watch your videos and you've got just tons of them and they're all excellent, it, it looks like you've been doing it for your whole life. You make it look so simple and easy. And we know that it's not that simple and easy. So I know a lot of prep goes into it. So I'm curious about the preparation for your presentation because your average, you know, you run 17, 25 minutes sometimes for your YouTube videos. When you first started, did you suck at this? You look at this and go, oh my God, I can't do this. This isn't going to be for me. And then how far into that process do you start going, hey, you know what? I'm getting better at this to where everyone I think who knows you could say, hey, you're pretty much a master. It sounds like you got your 10,000 hours in on this subject. Before we get really good enough to where we're, we're, we feel comfortable, what's that time frame? What do you see when you train the different people that you do? So the answer to your first question is yes, I sucked at the start. But when I say suck, I sucked at the start. When I started recording videos or going live, it right. was awkward and cringy, probably not as bad as I think when I look back at them, but that is before I understood that the camera steals your energy. So I watched back and thought, oh, what is this version of me? It's just kind of boring. I thought I was more, I thought I had more energy than this. What is going on? So that definitely happened at the start. I also was a little bit like a deer in headlights. So as I got the reps in and I started to learn about these things around managing your energy, managing your emotionality, then I would practice those. I would say one of the best things I did was to practice in a safe environment with other people. So I had joined a challenge in the summer of 2020 and it was called Live Every Day in August. And so we were in a private Facebook group. You would connect your computer, you'd go live in that group and you would just practice whether it was anyone there or not. It was just such a good way to put in the reps because every single day we had a prompt we had to rise to the occasion and that transformed so quickly. So if you can get in the reps quickly, now I think it's nice to do it in a private group or somewhere where other people can actually witness what you're putting out there so that there are some stakes involved. That definitely helps. But I do want to emphasize that my past in-person experience definitely played into my comfort level presenting today because I have been presenting to groups for over 20 years. And so I put in those reps early. And one of my very first jobs was in recruitment, going around to high schools all over Canada and doing the same presentation every day, sometimes three to five times in one day. So I put in a lot of the, I put in those hours early. And I just want to put that out there that if you have not had that level of repetition of speaking in front of groups, then you are coming in with a different background. And I just don't want to make it seem like, oh, in a, in a year you can be a pro or this will all come so easily. But I will say that the more you put in the reps, the more that you watch back and see what you did and course correct, which nobody wants to do, but it's very powerful and that will get you results faster. Yeah, no, that makes sense. You know, people ask me as a speaker, they'll go, oh, I'd, I'd like to be a speaker or they're aspiring to be a speaker. And I say, if you look at a speaker and you go, hey, I could do that. Maybe not the way they do it, but in my own way. Well, then the answer is yes, you can. You can do that. If you're looking at it and you're going, oh, I can't do that. And some people are more introverted. They don't mind the virtual environment and they can do it as well. But it's like anything. It's a learned skills. You go to the gym one time, it's your workout sucks. Your form's terrible. After 20 times, you're looking pretty good. You know, I just started doing spin in December. And mm. man, keeping up with those, that one, two, one, two, turn the dial. <laughs> I, I, it was, I thought I was going to die, you know, for that. But then well, now, now I can keep up. I like the spin example because I remember when I was going to in-person spin classes, probably 15 years ago, my instructor, I never forgot. She said, you will get better at it, but it will never be easy. And I actually think that works for speaking. You will get better at it, but it will never be 
easy. Because I think if it feels completely easy, you're probably dialing it in and you're probably not showing up as your best self because you should be present in the moment. You should be showing up fully. So if it's a, a total breeze, then maybe you've checked out, but you will get better at it. Yeah, good point. No, that's good. The technology has changed. Uh, I started back in 07, 08. We had go to meetings. We had virtual. We started trying to train. Video was terrible. It was all shaky. Things were really expensive. Matter of fact, we've just been cleaning out our storage rooms and we've got these cameras we spent thousands of dollars on, teleprompters, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of equipment to get started and to be able to, even if you're working for an organization or your home virtual, it's not expensive to do that, is it? In today's world, a few hundred bucks, you can pretty much have state of the art what you need. I think that it's much more affordable and it continues to be because more people are working remote and they are working, setting up home offices. So that's definitely helpful. But it is interesting because there are people who will sort of balk at spending a little bit of money. For example, a teleprompter. Elgato, which is a company I use a number of their products, came out with a teleprompter recently. I think it was it's around $300, maybe $400, depends on which country you're in. And people said, oh, that's so much money. And I said, really? A piece of technology that is going to let you connect with your audience because you can look at the face of the person you're talking to. You can make eye contact. You can have notes in front of you. That over the span of a few years of using, that's a really low cost per use. And it's going to make a big impact. Whereas perhaps if you're looking to buy a camera, maybe you don't need to spend a thousand dollars on a camera. You could spend a couple hundred dollars on a camera and have a really high quality image. But it is interesting to see what people are willing to spend money on and what they might start to bristle against. And for me, if you are spending a lot of time online, if you are in a lot of meetings, putting a little bit of investment in that to have technology that helps you make those connections, helps you sound good and look good is well worth it. So the must-haves were great lighting, good sound, and lighting doesn't have to be expensive. I remember starting off with lamps from Home Depot and putting a sheet of white piece of paper in front of it to get the diffused look right. And if people go to your YouTube, you've got tons of examples of and how to use the technology, which ones are the best. And you recommend those ones that are not the most expensive. They're not the cheapest, but they're just good workhorses. They're things that Mm -hmm. the brands you represent and talk about. I think you're a great ambassador for, I'm not sure whether you get compensation for that. You should, because you do a great job of them. Our studios look very much like cat studios. So like I say, there's good information there. The goal, so microphones, sound, we got to look good. Those are the basics. Make sure your background looks good, obviously. As a presenter, it's essential that we build trust and quickly engage and connect with our audience. And you've got a few minutes to do that. When we're on stage as speakers, we want to connect, you know, in the first minute or two. How do we do that online? How do you do that? Well, the first one is what I just mentioned around eye contact. So even if you don't have a teleprompter where you can see the person you're talking to, looking into your camera whether that's built in, whether that's an external camera, doing that as much as possible. People don't necessarily know what's different, but they will look at you longer because you're actually looking at them. And I say that in quotes because you might actually be looking at a camera and you're not actually looking at the people, but they will see you making eye contact. And as humans, we gravitate towards people who are making eye contact with us. So that's definitely one thing. The other is that as much as possible, I use a technique called early, easy, and clear. 
early in the meeting, do something that's easy to do with clear instructions. And when I say easy and accessible to almost everyone, not overly complicated, doesn't require a lot of skill, and is something that maybe someone could do even on their lowest day. They're not showing up as their best, but if you can ask a really straightforward prompt question exercise and you explain it clearly so they're not confused, then you have people who might be willing to engage. It could be something as simple as A or B, which one is you right now, and having them engage. Because when they do that very early on, it's setting a tone to say, this is not just a one way. I'm not just going to talk at you for the next while that I'm here with you as a group. And if someone engages early on with you, they're more likely to engage as you continue on and you keep having that two-way conversation. So that's something that I like to do as well. But definitely setting yourself up with the eye contact and that emotionality behind your voice. If you can match those things together, I think you can build trust pretty early on. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring Active Campaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? Active Campaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e commerce, B2C, and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. Active Campaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose Active Campaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the Active Campaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Kat Mulvahill. Are there common mistakes that you see that people are making that, oh, you know, when they're, they obviously maybe demo their abilities to you in your workshops, what are there things that you see that are just common? We tend to default to those mistakes and we should avoid them. I would say one mistake, and this is probably not what you're imagining, but I have worked with a number of people who just went out and they bought a bunch of stuff because they felt like they should. And they never really thought about their own personal setup or their situation or even what they needed it for. A great example is a piece of technology called the ATEM. And this is a camera switcher. And a lot of people on YouTube own an ATEM. I do not own an ATEM because I do not need a camera switcher. So when I ask them, oh, you know, do you need a camera switcher? And they say, no. I said, well, why did you buy the ATEM? Oh, because these four YouTubers have it. And then I thought it would make my studio. And I said, well, you have to understand what is the problem it's solving? what is it actually doing and how does it fit? And so that, I would say some people are overeager. They go out and they get all the stuff and then they do not know how to use it. Connected to that, another error is that people assume getting the stuff is going to solve their problems. And no, getting in the reps and actually showing up and doing it, that is what's going to make you better. Yes, a good microphone will make you sound better. Yes, good lighting and a good camera will make you look better, but you're still the presenter you still have to have coherent words coming out of your mouth. You have to focus on connecting with your audience. And the best tech in the world is not going to change the emotionality. It's not going to change what you know and what you say, the eye contact, all of that. So I think really leaning into those non-technical skills and nailing those is definitely a place to start. But a lot of people want to start with the tech. They want to start by watching all the videos, but you can't learn your way into being an excellent presenter. 
No, and I think that goes to your own individual style, what appeals to you too. Yeah, I'm always amazed. There's a, a fellow YouTube author I read, Peter Zahan, talks on geopolitical stuff. Check out his videos. He does them all on his iPhone and he's traveling all the time or in the mountains in Colorado where he lives. And you can tell he's holding it or he probably has one of those little selfie sticks and he's just talking into it. They're five to seven, eight minutes long and it gets thousands, tens of thousands of followers. Mm -hmm. The content's good. His sound quality is good. He's got one of those little microphones that's on the iPhone. And those are two contrasts that you see yes. it still builds so to your point connection and and content are probably the kingpins to make that presentation work you advocate the importance of preparing for virtual presentations so what are some of the non-obvious crucial elements that can make or break a virtual presentation that's a good question i would think that a lot of people underestimate lists and checklists even if you say oh, i've done this i put in my time and i know what i'm doing it's still possible we might forget to record we might forget to unmute we might there are all these little things even turning on closed captions i think having a checklist it is not a sign of weakness it is actually just a really great place for preparation reviewing that checklist before i usually will have a checklist of things before i go live or before i start my presentation and then right at the start and so those could be things like making sure i press record turn on closed captions any of that so i think Having a list and actually relying on it and also not just thinking at someday I won't need this because it's just always good to have the list because even the best of us, we can definitely forget something. I would say the other preparation, I really advocate that even if you know your topic really, really well inside and out, and maybe it's even a conversation, practicing your introduction. What's the first, what are the first few sentences you're going to say? Practicing your closing, how you're going to wrap something up. But the other one that's really, really worth practicing is if you are using a story, which we all know storytelling is so powerful, it really can connect things for people at a much deeper level. But do not tell the story for the very first time in that presentation, <laughs> in that meeting. Practice. Because we will tell too many extraneous details. We'll kind of maybe go off on a side tangent. We just haven't really nailed it. So I think telling the story over and over and over until it feels really natural. It's not that you're trying to memorize it. It's that each time you say the story, you're listening back for what can I cut? What's actually important to keep in here? What's not? Is there any tension? Do people actually care what's going to happen next? If you stop the story in the middle, would people notice and say, well, well what's the end? You want that approach. And You'll get that through preparation and through practicing telling stories. Then I imagine if you're working with different software apps to practice, like one of the apps that you talk about, which we use is Ecamm. And again, they can go to your website, they can go onto your YouTube and see how that works and how it can level up what your Zoom meetings are going to look like, like dramatically. And they don't need Ecamm. There's other tools that you have as well. You can put lower mm -hmm. on, make almost like a TV production. So there, there's no excuse for not doing it. I love the idea of a checklist. I've been a pilot for... I want to say four decades now. That's scary. And checklists are important. And whenever I've had near things that were issues, it was because I ignored the checklist, something, yeah. oh, fuel, check fuel. Yeah, that's a big one, right? And so checklists are a good way to keep you on track. And like you said, I don't think there's anything really wrong with it. So that's an excellent point. With the rapid pace of technological advancement and change, how do you stay ahead of the curve and continuously incorporate those new tools into your training and your consulting practice? You I would actually say I don't always. <laughs> Okay, part, partly because one, so much is coming out so fast. As you said, the rapid pace, 
it's, I think, almost impossible to truly stay on top of everything. So I just try to listen to people I trust and know that if there's something worth learning about, I'm probably going to learn it through those channels. Because frankly, I just don't have the bandwidth to try and stay on top of every single release, all the different software. And it's hard to know, especially as of late, I would say in the last year and a half, it feels like every single day there are new software products that are released off a lot of them on the backs of AI. They're trying to make your life better, try to improve all your workflows. They're trying to get in front of you. But I always ask myself, what problem does it solve? Same with the technology. What problem is it solving? And am I experiencing that problem? Because if I'm not right now, I actually don't need to necessarily set aside time for that. That being said, as soon as I'm experiencing friction in my workflow, in my presentation, in how I'm setting things up, then I'll say, okay, what is the problem here? Why am I experiencing this friction? And how can I set about to fix that? That's when I'm going to seek out options and I'm going to go to trusted sources. I'm going to see what is what is out there that can solve that problem. And that's the information I am looking for that I want to consume. That's my approach because it just it's impossible, I think, to stay fully on top of it. It's tough. There's new stuff all the time. And it's it's those shiny objects, right? I've been guilty of that. I, I look at things and when, all right, how do I do that setup or how I watch what, what's happening? Now, which leads me to the, the complexity of the concept. Sometimes there's some pretty complex apps out there and technologies. You have a real knack. And I think that's one of your superpowers is for explaining complex concepts in an accessible way. It makes it easy to understand. I like to read things, but I also like to visually see it and see how we're applying it. So then I can go, oh, okay, that makes sense. What's your process or can you share your process for distilling that information down into clear, actionable insights for your audience? Like, how do you do it? What, how do you start? How do you end up with what's that week look like? How long does it take you to create that episode? Is it, you know, 17 to 20 minutes, it looks like it's easy and you just cranked it up, but something went into that. Well, the first year, maybe first year and a half of my content was actually delivered live. And partly that's because I'm a procrastinator. And if I didn't just say, this is what I'm showing up, I probably would not have put out any content. So having those constraints really helped me as a creator to just say, I am showing up at this time live. People are expecting it because I've told them. And so that gave me a deadline of, you have to put your content together by this date and get ready. As far as structuring it, I would always ask what I think of it as a scaffolding. So yeah. what do you need to know about this? So who is this for? First of all, should I even pay attention to this? And once I've identified who it's for, I usually like to give a little bit of background as to what's the context? How can I frame this against other things? Or how does this fit into someone's, so if it's for presenting, how does this actually apply to what you're doing? What part of the presentation is this going to improve? And then try to just build it up so that if someone were brand new and learning this for the first time, I'm not making assumptions that they already know something. I'm sure I'm guilty of having done that in the past where I just kind of assume someone knows how to do something. But I really try to look from a beginner's lens. And I also ask the question, what's the content I would have liked to see the first time I was learning this? And so that really helps me. Since, since being asked about this, I have started to really break down what are the things, how am I structuring this content? And I really did realize that I have what I call core content, which is answering the questions, what information do they need? What skills do they need? What decisions do they need to make? And what do they have to believe? And so if I can start to look at those questions, that can form the key concepts that I'm teaching. And then I'll take it a step further and say, how can I support the retention, the understanding? So maybe that's adding in storytelling, adding in visuals, running a demonstration. If it's something like a workshop where I'm live with people, then I say, okay, how can I help them apply this core concept? How can we do an activity with this right away so they can practice it and try it themselves? And then also sometimes assessment. 
in one of my vocal workshops, I would have people actually answer a quiz based on what we just learned. So how are you taking these core concepts and helping people to either understand it at a deeper level, retain the information they've learned, apply what they've learned, or assess that they've actually learned it? Mm, break it down to simple terms. And I said, lots of good elements in there. So does it take you a long time to come up with an episode? So do you get an idea, like how far in advance when we record our episodes, we design, we have a flavor of what we're looking for, who's best to fit that. So to your point, and then we have a production time and a schedule. How long is it, how far in advance is Cat producing? Pretty last minute. That's just that's the way I've always kind of rolled. If I have too much time, it doesn't help. That's why I really, yeah. going live was very helpful for me to just deliver regularly. Now that I have leaned more towards recorded content because of, it's just more flexibility of the schedule. Now that things are a bit more open, I don't always have the same schedule every week. So doing recorded content is harder for me to get out at a regular cadence because no one's necessarily anticipating something. <laughs> And, but I would say it's a similar timeline in that I prepare and then I try to record everything as if I'm delivering it live. So there's very minimal editing in most of my videos. There are a few exceptions when it made a lot more sense to have some editing, but I just deliver it as if I'm talking to a live audience because that's my comfort zone. That's my sweet spot. And that also just helps me get content out there. Sure. You talk about the differentiation as well and being authentically different. A lot of people, uh, content producers are looking, they, things start looking the same. They follow the same models. They follow the, say they have the same equipment. So standing out from the crowd makes a difference when it comes to creating authentic differentiation. What are some of the common pitfalls that you see for individuals or businesses or, you know, solopreneurs that what they fall into and how can they truly stand out in their market? What kind of things should they be paying attention to? I would say be careful for templates. And when I say templates, I mean broadly, there are so many people out there that teach content creators, entrepreneurs, business owners, follow these steps, use this template. And sometimes it's literal. Here is a script I use. This will make your videos go viral. But then everything starts to sound the same. Same with using AI. I think a lot of people just start to sound the same. So one would be, how do you bring in your lived experience so that what you're sharing is not generic. It's not something that could be written by AI. You had that experience. That's where some storytelling can come in. That's where personal examples can really come into play. And then that's more memorable. And then people also feel like they're getting to know you a little bit. And obviously you need to find the line between how much you want to share or not. But I would find that usually the most I guess the most traction I get tends to be when I'm showing a little bit more of who I am, what I care about, or sharing maybe a struggle or story that I have. Those tend to be the ones where I get the most interaction, the most engagement, because people feel like they're getting to know me. It's not just formulaic. And so I think trying to stay away from templates and formulas is definitely the way to go. But it takes some practice to find your voice, especially if you're just starting out with making content. What feels naturally like you? Yeah, no, that, the personalization is what you're saying. Bring Kat to the table, bring Michael to the table so we get to see who you are. That, those are the things that people love us for, not for our content. They love us because of our personalities and who we are, right? When you're giving virtual presentations, there's a lot of people, death by PowerPoint, they've got graphics that are terrible. You can't see them. You have some really interesting rules and some great ways to add graphics and make them visually interesting because we really want to see you. And if we see the sign, we've got a little tiny square of the individual. People will not see that on any of your YouTubes. And that's why I think some of the technology 
technologies you talk about make good sense. I try to do the same thing. I don't want to see this little tiny thumbnail picture if I'm presenting. Is there a number of slides, the size of the font, the type of font, the colors to use, not to use that we should be paying attention to? Well, I do think doing a little bit of minimal research around accessibility standards and what are colors and contrast that you should be using. So that, go to the internet. AI can tell you that probably. So there are things like reds and greens. You just stay far away from those. But I always say that the slides support the speaker, not the other way around. And a lot of times what we see is people who design their presentations in the slideshow. So they sit down, they open their slides, and they just start going slide by slide and methodically write out all the things they're going to say in their presentation. And I get the appeal because I was 100% that person. But what happens when you do that is you put all the best stuff in the slides and then you just read the slides to someone, which is not a good experience. So I think instead, I always recommend prepare your outline. What do you want to say? What do you want to talk about? You don't have to write it all out. It does not have to be a script, but then that will inform your slides. Then you go to your slides and say, what are the key things I want to accentuate? What are the key phrases? Sometimes you do want to read what's on a slide. Maybe there's a quote and you want to read that word for word. But for the most part, anything visual that you share or show should be supporting the learner or the person who's watching or listening, not just everything you're going to say. So I don't think there's a defined rule except that the brain can do one or the other. It can listen to the speaker and maybe get a little bit of support or if you put a whole bunch of stuff in front of that person, they can read or listen to you. They can't do both. Their brain just can't process all of that information at the same time. So I think really starting to think, how do I support that experience so that it's streamlined and that I'm not overwhelming this person with just too much coming at them, both through talking and through putting up too many words on the page? No, keep it simple. And I've heard things use like 30 point type, keep it under 10 slides. You know, Guy Kawasaki talks about it, I think on the skills and presentation, particularly if you're pitching, if you're going to be doing something, people just don't want to see a ton of slides or keep it minimum or use graphics. I always like to use Apple's approach or Steve Jobs approach um, and pictures, images, even pictures. as speaker. Oh, yeah. I'll put up a picture of a can of Coke. That's the next slide. And now you're going, why is the Coke up there? Mm -hmm. And I'll talk about the Coke. That's my cue. That's my note. People think, well, yeah. how do you do it without notes? Oh, I have notes. Their cues are right. That's how mm -hmm. I'll, I'll do that. Which brings me to a good point, because you talk about technologies and keeping your place, and you've talked about teleprompters. Now, there are people at every, and it's a spectrum. There's content producers all the way down to, hey, I got to do Zoom meetings with my company, or I've got to train some subordinates or some people who report to me. You've got tons of expertise in leveraging technologies like Notion, Elgato products, particularly the prompter, Keynote, the software, also on the PC side of it. So you do address both of those formats. Can you discuss a particular tool or software that you believe is perfect? personally underutilized by professionals, but as potentially to revolutionize things for people? Like what are the, hey, people just don't realize this thing's a powerhouse. One that comes to mind for me based on what you're teaching was Ecamm. That was a big one for me. And I think it's Camo, the PC side of it. You talk about that as well, but is there a technology or something that, hey, people ought to be checking this one out? Well, I think it comes down to your situation. So there's no one panacea or whatever. There's no one magic pill when it comes to software. I absolutely love Ecamm. I use Ecamm for all of my Zoom meetings. It allows me to put graphics. It allows me to address my framing and position of my camera. So it can help me really look good. And that's my main tool for both recording content, for going live, and for showing up in meetings and standing out. That being said, 
it's one, it's specific to Mac users. And it also, it's a powerhouse of a program. So if you have an older Mac, it might struggle a little bit. So you have to keep those things in mind. But also for some people, it might be too much. And so that's where showing alternatives. So Camo is actually available on both. And that's just a much simpler interface. So maybe you just want to have your corporate logo on the corner, or maybe you want a way to have a logo and blur your background. Because if you do that, if you blur your background in Zoom and you try to add your logo, then you might blur your logo. So it's just a really nice entry level opportunity for someone to add a little something to their picture without breaking the bank or without being too confusing. <laughs> Whereas well, yeah. EK Live is more of a production studio where you have multiple scenes and you can set it up. And so I'd say it's a little bit more advanced, but I am a huge advocate of giving Ecamm a try if you want to think of your calls and your presentations more like a production. And that's what I like to do. And that's what I like to teach. It makes it more interesting delivering it. It makes it more interesting for the person on the other end of it receiving the information too. And like I say, you give great tutorials on here's how to apply it, here's how to use it. You can get more information. You've spoken about the importance of supporting future you. Could you talk about productivity and presentation skills? Mm -hmm. Can you give us a specific example of how the philosophy of maybe future-proofing yourself has changed your approach to your work or your life? It comes back to friction. I mentioned that before. So yeah. I've really tried to be intentional about noticing when is there friction in my life? What is going on? When I say friction, I mean those little things that we tolerate, but we kind of grit our teeth every time it happens. And typically it's small enough that we put up with it, we tolerate it, but it's just like little paper cuts over and over and over. And so when I notice something like that happening in my life, that's where I really want to stop and say, how can I make this experience better? And it might mean pausing, reevaluating a setup or a workflow, just something that we've been just silently gritting our teeth and bearing. So this might be an example of, you know, if I'm pseudo making this up, but let's say that every time I make a piece of video content, I have to sort of remap out okay, I need to come up with some title ideas. I need to come up with some, you know, an outline. I need to come up with thumbnail ideas. So there are things that I do every single time and I could just have a blank page and just start each time I have to make a new video or I can set up a video creation template that already has all of the prompts ready to go. So when I open that page, I just start working and I don't have to think about, okay, what are the different topics I talk about every time? Even though we have practiced so much that we know those intuitively, it still just makes our experience easier because we're reducing the mental load on us when it's time to actually get the work done. But it can also work at home. You know, if there's friction in your life of, here's an example. My, I used to have everything charging together in one area. It was my charging area. And so I have an Apple watch, which I would charge overnight, but I also have an Aura ring, which is a ring that tells me about my health, but that one I want to wear overnight and I want to charge it on the charger, but I don't want to charge that near my watch because that's where I charge things at night. So then I set up a different station. There's my charging during the day and my charging during the night. And just making that change eliminated a lot of friction. I wouldn't forget to charge things because it was in the night charging and not the day charging. So just evaluating where are these little headaches, <laughs> these little repeated just pains and pain in the butt and how do I make those better? So thinking about future you, thinking about what's the best version of this. And it, it can work just on so many levels of how you can just take care of the future version of yourself. I agree. And it, I think it future proofs yourself too. And you know, what's interesting, you had a post on LinkedIn the other day and I went and copied it. It was a spreadsheet for the year and a glance. So I've copied it and I've got my year out. I actually did a mm -hmm. color copy. 
NIAD in, for instance, keynotes, workshops, training. So what do I know that's scheduled? And I have particular days, for instance, I like 150 days off in a year. How do I do that? Well, I book off the weekends and you have them booked off in the color code. So it's hacking and taking a look at that whole year. It's like, I get excited about the year and January is a good time to do this. So it's perfect. But to your point, you're always looking at everything and what's the perfect week look like? If I had to design the perfect week, what does it look like? How many meetings? Monday's a content day. I dedicate my Monday's, you know, content. First thing in the morning, I'm writing for about an hour and a half. I find that works best by 4.30. My brain's yeah. kind of mushy. You know, my kids say, and you're a speaker. So it's finding <laughs> the facts all the time, right? And I know if people go to your website, they go to your YouTube channels, there's just tons of practical hacks, tips, things, concepts, ideas, and you really do an amazing job with it. So Kat, I want to thank you for your effort on this stuff on our behalf. You're very generous in their content and it's practical. And if people want to learn to become better presenters, they want to become better at productivity, have better meetings meetings where people love to see them. I think you're a perfect example. And we'll have all of your contact information in the show notes so they can take care of it. I know they can work with you. You've got online course programs. You've got corporate training. You've got consulting and coaching. They can get all that information from your website. And you've got tons of free resources, man. You give away an awful lot of value. And so uh, thanks for doing that. And so our gratitude just as an audience, I know my audience will appreciate it. And thanks for being here. Quick question for you, though. I got to ask you because you're a superhero for me. What's uh, a superpower I know where you're good at from a presentation point of view, what's a superpower maybe your audience doesn't know about? I think I maybe mentioned this in a video not that long ago, but I'm pretty good at knitting. I've knit sweaters and shawls and outfits for family, little baby bear onesie and things I'm pretty proud of. So that's a little hidden superpower. Well, excellent. Good. So I have to ask the converse of that is what's your Achilles? What's your kryptonite? Salt and vinegar chips. Oh, <laughs> I, I don't know, know if that, that when I think of kryptonite, it's, it's usually it's, it's salt and vinegar chips or donuts, frankly. But I try to think, yeah, I don't know if, if food is what you're looking for, but that's definitely when I think the word kryptonite, that's what I think of. Try first. those salt and vinegar chips with cream cheese, with Philadelphia oh. cream cheese. And okay. you get the soft stirred up time. And because you have to do it a little slower, right? So that yeah. cheese that goes with the salt. And our producer really loves that, like to the point where it's, you know, probably therapy for that one. But it's a it's a winner. That sounds, go, sounds like trouble. Yeah, it's all trouble. Hey Kat, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I had a great time. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My executive producer is Beth Smith and director of research, Tori Smith. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting. This podcast is subject to copyright by Summit Media. Goodbye.